What you are about to watch is a sincere conversation around the COVID-19 or coronavirus lockdown that's taken place over the Western world over the last few weeks. Now, most of the conversations that you find online around the coronavirus focus on the health effects of the virus itself. But we've decided to take a different approach today and instead focus on the negative health effects of specifically the lockdown. Because if you think about the world in this biopsychosocial model, which we like to talk about on this channel an awful lot, based in the work of the great depth psychologist Carl Jung, at least primarily, then you have the biological layer, the psychological layer, and the social layer to the way human beings function. And what we've done with the lockdown is, using our political systems, we've created a massive perturbation on the social layer of said model. And so we can expect to see ramifications as a result of this. Human beings are not the nice fluffy things that we like to make them out to be. No matter what we see on the news, all the propaganda, perhaps, around how everybody is banding together and helping each other out, underneath lies the ancestral psyche. And beneath the ancestral psyche lies instinct. And of course, if you take a population and you tell them to go sit in the proverbial cave, then instincts will start to kick back in one form or another. And that's what we talk about in this conversation. In particular, we focus on the effects on breathing and respiration that can take place, so purely on the biological layer. But indeed, we then stray into the more masculine instinct side of things, the more predatory nature of things that might pop up. And indeed, we talk about masculinity and the political system of the modern world as a whole towards the second half of the podcast. Now, I have to make a quick disclaimer here. Within the podcast, we talk about a new manual that we have just released called the Charing Cross Method. And this podcast was originally planned to be released after the one which you'll see after this one if you see what I mean. So that particular exposition might seem a little bit out of place, but we do have many podcasts planned over the next couple of weeks on the subject of breathing, of hyperventilation, on burnout, and indeed specifically on how complexes can breathe you and how this ties into the biopsychosocial model. So if you'd like a copy prematurely without us telling you much about it of said manual, then you can pick it up in the description down below. But never fear, we will perform a full exegesis on this over the coming few podcasts. But without any further ado, we bring you the Young to Live By COVID-19 special. Uh, well, on, on the subject of uh, breathing generally, obviously in an environment like we have now, in the times that we have now with, with COVID, people are going to be very, very careful about how they breathe but that's not happening in isolation to the already ingrained maladaptive patterns of respiration that people may have. We're just adding an extra loading to that, with the fear of breathing in a virus and then having a social distance. Um, people will be holding their breath more or taking more shallow breaths. So they'll be inadvertently hyperventilating, bearing in mind that hyperventilation is not something which is obvious necessarily, it's just breathing in excess of your body's physiological needs. So it's possible to hyperventilate at rest and unobtrusively, purely because of stress and of habit. You add an already stressed individual with bad breathing habits and someone who is perhaps fatigued or exhausted because of the stress that they're under, you add that to a COVID lockdown situation, uh, it's going to get very strange very, very strange, very soon. It's going to be on two levels, right? So people consciously trying to change their breathing habits 
in a way. I'm mean, not necessarily, you know, they could be holding their breath, I guess, if they go outside. Do I see people walking around with like masks mm. on and things to yeah. try and protect themselves? So there could be that, but there's also the panic aspect as well. And I've seen people yeah. on social media, like normal people who would keep their heads straight at all times. And all of a yeah. sudden it's like, we're all going to die. We're all screwed. Or it's the conspiracy theory territory of, of you know, the, yeah. it's, it's all orchestrated by, by the government. Regardless of what the real cause is, it's just like it puts stress on an individual. I can see how this could be extraordinarily dangerous to somebody, actually. Yeah. Think about somebody sitting in front of their computer, accessing the Internet, who is already stressed. And they're accessing information on the Internet that feeds in literally to their concerns. Uh, and they may have a bad posture and bad breathing at rest because they're on a computer screen or a keyboard or whatever. So that, that's all in place and it's ready to summate to an even worse situation. Then once you add to that the necessity to leave their home to obtain food and supplies. Uh, and then we've had recently the kind of pictures that we've had even today of mass burials in New York. Mm. Uh, this is definitely going to feed in to people's concerns. The fears always constellate around instincts. And when you think that in normal everyday life, uh, fear or negative emotions of a particularly strong intensity tend to create complexes, um, it's far worse when you get down to the level of instinct. Because the amount of power if you like or libido which is invested in an instinct compared that to a complex there's just no no comparison at all um the, the genomic self the genome if you like the gene expression will release far more mm. investiture of energy and physiological and psychological resources into an instinct particularly one that threatens survival if that instinct is compromised than it will for pretty much any complex so we're setting up a situation where complexes will trigger not archetypes but instincts at the deepest of levels so it's not good so, and so uh, and which of these instincts do you think is most um what has you most concerned what keeps you awake at night with stuff like this in what area if you if you think that being forced into lockdown in effect is a throwback to living in a cave you know uh, caves and cave people, um, paleo-humans were building, they were building buildings, they were building uh, shelters before and after they, they were uh, occupied in caves. So selecting a cave to live in, a restricted, protected, lockdown space, means there's some advantage for survival from a paleo-human and therefore the paleo-human you know, brain that we still carry within us and all of its associated instincts. If you venture out of the cave into a hostile environment, it'll be for foraging for resources. It'll be for competition, therefore, for resources. There'll be elements of hunting and gathering. Fundamental male instincts will be motivated towards hunting and towards territoriality, protecting both the cave and the extended territory that he, the family group and the tribe all consider to be theirs in order to maximize resources. Uh, Paleo-human females in those times were primarily orientated towards gathering and towards raising of children within the protected space, that is to say the home. We're being forced into a lockdown situation now where we're cut off from our extended uh, peer uh, support networks. 
or seeing them when we meet them on the street as being potentially dangerous with respect to transmitting a fatal disease or a potentially fatal disease. All of this will mobilize those primitive instincts for hunting and gathering and therefore competition. Another effect will be the way that the state overall psychologically is reacting to this situation. It's probably doing it with the best of intentions. The problem though is that it will enforce the lockdown primarily through suggestion through the media but they're also ramping up the notion that the state in the form of the police will intervene and start to take away your liberty. They may even intervene to the extent of checking your basket when, say, if it were a woman, for example, in the sense of looking at this from an instinctive perspective, from a paleo-human sense, checking a woman's basket to see whether she's actually gone out to shop for essentials. Mm. That, will, that will really, really impact, in this case, that woman's primary instincts to be able to gather for her family and for herself. The police, in that sense, will start to appear like they are predators. They're part of the threat in the environment. There aren't, at the moment, saber-toothed tigers out there, you know, or other predators. There aren't cave bears, cave lions, and so forth. The immediate focus, then, of the projection of an instinctive threat will, if we go on and we're not careful, will become the police and, therefore, the state. It's very, very dangerous, and it has to be handled properly. With men going out, with their instincts for territoriality and protection and hunting, they will start to see the police, not necessarily as predators, but perhaps as rivals for control of territory and resources. And that will blow up eventually if it isn't handled properly because the male instincts will just start to power through and um, complexes then will be readjusted you know, according to instinctive pressure. I'm not talking about archetypal fantasies now or the hero cycle or any culturally generated myth. We're talking about fundamentals and how powerfully that they can be motivated. Look, to go back to respiration, one of the, the, the problems there, of course, is that in the build-up to people having their instincts triggered for survival is the complexes will be activated because it's more superficial. So anxiety is generated. And when respiration is disturbed, then physiology is disturbed, psychology is disturbed, and you start to get very, very weird symptoms in your body, which might, with a little bit more overloading, actually transduce into a real physical illness, all of which is going to stress the health service and stress the individual in that state and the individual's immediate family in the cave. And when the NHS doesn't have the resources to come out and see someone, you might have, for example, a hyperventilation-induced heart attack or coronary artery spasm or arrhythmia or an mm. epileptiform seizure, all due to stress, then the NHS, which at the moment is being used as a lightning rod to, to download or upload positive collective feelings, will start to become identified with the state and with a failing of the state and therefore a threat. So if things go on like this, it could get bad. I really hope it doesn't, but we need to look at it. Uh, and there's a very definite physiology involved, just to return back to the breathing, uh, isn't there, Paul, with respect to what happens? There is indeed. Um, I was just thinking as you were, were talking, Steve, that um, 
it might be useful to extend the concept of breathing as well because mm. even things like sighing and yawning and coughing and given that covid yeah. involves a cough are all modified forms of breathing yeah. so if you bear that in mind you've got you've got another overlay onto probably what's already you know, a very difficult situation yeah. so i think to, just to broaden that idea out as well uh, is probably useful um, and obviously as steve is suggesting there's all the underlying changes in in the body's chemistry that are created as a result of those disturbances so it can be useful to know something about that yeah i'd like to for a moment return to the concept of instincts because it's reminded sure. me actually more politically and uh i traditionally in my youth i was still a youth i've much preferred the more libertarian american way of doing politics you know it's yes. the don't don't tread on me leave me alone yes. type of thing not That's because it's yeah. Yeah, yeah it's not because you know intellectually i'm like well public services are bad because of taxes xyz but it's yeah. purely yeah. it feels like an instinctual thing of leave me the hell alone it's like yes. i want to provide for myself provide for my family etc 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 so it's like i remember when this thing first broke out i was talking to uh one of my business partners about this and i remember saying the founding fathers of the USA would be absolutely appalled at the kind of the way that we've responded to it in this country in particular, because it's basically go into your house and sort of sit there. You know, you, you can't leave we in control. So I was wondering if this instincts thing could actually be applied more generally politically to people who are more prone to, say, either libertarian or uh, financially more right wing positions, if you see what I mean, would that be based in instinct rather than say, because I've seen psychological models, I've seen the big five be used, for example, as a way of attempting to describe why different people go towards different political systems. But you reckon fundamentally it does come down to instinct? Well, yeah, I think it must do because instinctive human behavior has essentially led towards culture and all of its manifestations. So anything like that will be based on those primary instincts for survival, reproduction, territoriality, resources, uh, kinship bonds, which reinforces all of that. And of course, kinship bonds eventually become political bonds as well. Uh, whether it's left or right, I don't think that matters. Certainly from my perspective, it doesn't. I don't have uh, a view politically on that. I'm just interested in what causes it all um, and what happens if too much pressure is put on a society as a whole always it boils down to instincts it does in wartime it does in, in times of massive social unrest um and uh, i i am worried i was actually um contacted by three journalists um british uk national mm. journalists over the past few days to comment on that and, and on the, the the subject of instinct because it's the thing that's always there and that we always forget because we're always too concerned, as Jung said, with the contents of our immediate conscious mind. And we imagine whatever's preoccupying us there is all that there is. It's not the case. It really isn't. Um, but I'm seeing it now. I'm, I, I am, you know, a former police officer, you know, uh, as I think many people on uh, the, the Discord know. I'm very, very well aware of how police officers patrol their beats. When you think about it, it's a territorial thing immediately. You also give people power over an area, which means they have the power to take away a person's liberty who operates on your patch, on your beat. Uh, and they tend to patrol it. 
rather like sharks. This is fine. This is absolutely fine when it's policing by consent. And when the police officers, the metaphorical sharks who are patrolling their beat, understand fully what that means and that they're there to serve the people. When the people appear to the police to be a problem en masse, that's not good. Uh, because you, get, you then get a, a very clear demarcation and separation of instincts. So if the police are put under pressure, they will start to see the public as being the problem. And what can evolve from that is that the police will, in effect, become a socio-cultural autoimmune problem. That which should protect the public will turn on it in the same way that the immune system in an autoimmune disease will turn on the host body. That's not good. That's not good for anyone. So this has to be handled properly. And I hope, I really hope that the government are being properly advised on this. I doubt that they are because they will see the police as just functionaries. Of course they are, that's the problem. Because where there's a low level of collective consciousness in a group or an organization, they will default automatically to instinct. And if what they're doing in terms of their function is very, very primary anyway, uh, when you take away the niceties of culture and the controls that we have in, a, in, a, in an ordered society, then you can expect that to ramp up. And I do think we're seeing signs of that now. The concern, as I say, I have is that people will start to get very, very frustrated with staying in the cave. We've already seen fights breaking out over food. Um, and within the cave as well, because there's an increase in domestic abuse yes, as well. Isn't yes, that, that, currently? That, that's happening. Yeah. Uh, and again, you can call or consider that to be a modification of instinct because the instincts lead to the disturbance at the two person family uh, system level. Um, and then you get violence and abuse and so forth. People who don't normally spend that much time together and who aren't in equilibrium over that kind of state. And of course, through that, you get the anxiety, you get the, the over-breathing, you get all the consequential effects of that, which, which lead to uh, changes in the body. And it's a massive cascading effect within a, a, an enclosed vessel, which is the cave or the home. And eventually that will have to blow. It will implode and then blow out probably in the same way that you get with a supernova a star when that goes off it implodes first and then blows out and the effects of that outer explosion are catastrophic so i guess for as long as people are too afraid of the potential effects of this awful disease which is real and is killing people then there will be a restraint but I do worry about the, the regulating system, the social regulating system we've got, which is the police and the psychology of the police. When they begin to consider the public should be corralled, you know, rather like sheep. And perhaps the sheep dogs will turn into wolves. Let's hope not, but I'm beginning to see signs of that, which are of significant concern. Mm. We've also got the financial concern as well. I don't think we brought it up yet. Where people are being, lots of people anyway, are being put on, I think it's 80% pay for, for X amount of time. But lots of people live paycheck to paycheck. So if you put somebody on 80% pay, most people, are going to, not most, but lots of people are going to be completely screwed by it. If they're renters, for, for example. If, if I was in my, my PhD still, I would be completely screwed. It's like, well, where the hell am I going to live? You know, so I, it concerns me, actually. This was strange. Why people went so easily into the cave in the first place. Because it was an immediate thing. It was like the, I don't know, head bear or whatever, the head primate. He stands up and goes, everyone go into the cave and if you leave, basically we're going to fine you 
and we're going to break up all parties. And people went so easily into the cave in the first place. And I'm wondering if there's a reason for that. Because my, my initial instinctual response was basically like, no, I had to. But it was a no. And I was wondering if that is, is most people's initial response. is like, no, you can't lock me in the cave. I don't care what you say. Even if there's a, a reason for it, like there's a real danger, the instincts aren't going to be argued with, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. They, they don't want to be argued with, but there is a summating effect of, of several instincts kicking in. And then there's a rational choice, albeit a, a rational choice at an instinctive level, because at that level, one instinct will play off against one or more others. And then you get a resultant effect, which is adaptive for survival. At the moment, that's working. Um, in repressive cultures, and there are plenty of them, uh, and nation states uh, around the world, you see various levels of this going on anyway. And provided that control remains in place, the, the real threat of a police state, like at the level of North Korea, for example, uh, and of some of the um, regiments from the past, like Nazi Germany, um, where that is absolutely a real fact that the force can be delivered and you can be taken out, then you're less likely to rise up uh, and cause a problem. But now, we have a very run-down police force. It couldn't cope before. It's not going to be able to cope now if things really do boil over. And this is where the, the issue of policing by consent, at least in the UK, has always managed to keep the lid on things because generally most people consented to being policed. But if you push them into a situation where they don't consent any longer <clears> and the, uh, the nation state is unable to enforce the lack of consent from the people, then you're going to get a significant breakdown in social order based on instinct. And you, for example, described then competing instincts, the instinct to assert yourself, which is basically orientated towards your own survival, your own resources, your own status and self-assertion, your own peer group, all of those things all starts to add up. Um, but you're also aware of the fact that survival instinct, instinct number one, might just take you out with COVID. It might take any of us out. So we kind of err on, on balance there and say, okay, for now. Yeah? But there will come a point when for now is past. Um, I just hope, uh, hope we don't get to, get to that point because the police service we have is incapable of enforcing a lockdown if the consent for it disappears. That would be tragic for a number of reasons because you get the social breakdown, but it doesn't solve the problem of the virus either and of the pandemic. Uh, and, and then people will just default to individual expression of instincts or the expression of instincts within families and kin groups, and it will get horrendous. Especially because this is off the heels of, say, the the political paranoia, I say, of the last few years. We had the, the whole Brexit thing and the whole Trump thing. So people are all like stirred up in a pot already. And then it's, mo it's more prominent in the US. But there is a case of people don't trust the government. You know, stronger over there, but there is a case of it here at the same time. And it's, it's creeping into social media. It's all over the place. And so I'm, I, I thought that people wouldn't trust the political system immediately after 2016. I, really, I, th I thought that. And then the whole Brexit thing goes on and people still don't trust it. And now we've been told to sit in the cave and everything else when if you go look at the stats, you're not going to die for someone, for someone like myself. So it's like, it's, it's building, it's building, it's building. But I guess an even worse case scenario, James, would be to lose your cave in the way that you described before, that if you were to be ruined financially, and that is a, a threat, a real threat for a lot of people, that is almost a worse case scenario than being told to, to get in the cave and, and, you know, behave yourself. You mean in terms of actually getting into trouble? 
and being arrested. No, I, I mean, simply like you, you, you put it yourself so simply that you couldn't afford to pay your rent, so you no longer have a roof over your head. Yeah. That's an even worse prospect, really, than, than having a place to go back to. Yeah, it's another instinct, isn't it's it? It's another instinct, which, yeah. Which is kicking in and, and being yeah. manipulated. Yeah. You know, this is this is my point over archetypes. You know, the archetypes just don't matter in a situation like this because archetypes mm. essentially are fantasies, or, or are what we interpret as being archetypes are collective fantasies. Will they mean anything at all? They will reflect underlying instincts. But I think the major problem for people is to understand the human instincts, although they are similar and we have them in common to some extent with animals, are also themselves more evolved. The, the unconscious evolves too, it's not static. For example, at another level of analysis, description and explanation, it will do so because we've evolved consciousness. Therefore, the unconscious will revolve, evolve in reaction to that. And the expression of human instincts is altered too. Uh, to me, there is absolutely no need to attach uh, a hypothetical additional layer to instincts and call them archetypes. You know, what, what we think of as archetypes biologically are just instincts and then there's the socio-cultural representation of them. The, 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 the culture is changing at the moment, Covid is, is changing people. Uh, so this will have an effect uh, at the way the culture expresses itself. Depending on its ultimate effect and how long it lasts, it will disappear. How many people have been worried recently about Spanish flu from 1918 to 1921? Probably nobody, because most of the people who went through that have died. They've gone. No, but at the time, people reacted to that in a similar way that we're reacting now. Although the government response was was nowhere near on the level that it is. Um, so what we're going through now might be represented epigenetically, or in future generations, or it might not. But it will certainly it will certainly affect culture for a while. Um, so there's, there's lots that, going, that, that are going on. But, it, but back to the, 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 um, the issue of respiration. You know, um, in all cultures, breathing has been considered symbolically and religiously to be of immense importance because we know, and we will know at a deep structure level, at a physiological, metabolic level, that it isn't just that breath and soul are the same thing. Proper breathing regulates everything, and it's not just oxygen either. It's the level of carbon dioxide. The CO2 level in your blood and in the body's tissues basically regulates the acid-base balance of your body. Oxygen contributes nothing to the pH of your body. pH is such a, a fine balance. If you mm. go outside of those tolerances, either way, you will die very quickly, mm. very, very quickly. Well, if you have too much carbon dioxide, you're in danger of yeah. suffocating. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. that that's an inbuilt thing as well, physiologically, yeah. that, you know, yeah. if the levels build up too high, then mm. you'll get a kind of a, you know, your body will have an alarm reaction to that. But then having said that too, the, the, the chemo receptors in the body that, that register that are set at different levels for different people as well. Mm. So again, what's, what's normal in a given population is very variable. Yes, and and yes. obviously we've, you know, found that to be the case with, the use of the catnograph well, and so we, on. We absolutely have. Yeah. Um, there are standard uh, ranges which are considered to be normal yeah. or borderline. And you will see people who are adapted to very abnormally low levels of, of, of carbon dioxide yes. and they seem to be functioning and that's normal for them. just yeah. fine. Yeah. But what you do see, 
uh, is that the reserve is is uh, very very fine uh, and if you overload them at that point even though they appear to be in an abnormal state already and they're not expressing any uh, physical or psychological symptoms you push them just a little bit and then they're gone um, there is I think I've mentioned this chat before there was one fellow uh, on another pub podcast who'd been a fit man all of his life and he was a tennis player um, and he was a relative of someone that, that, that we were seeing in fact yes. it was a family fe therapy situation we'd done a family enactment with them and it had been filmed mm. on, on their request <clears throat> um, very very complex psychodynamics going on quite literally and he was sighing uh, significantly um, not just during that which you might expect from the over expect from the overloading of stress but also as reported by his son in terms of him playing tennis uh, his blood pressure was normal there was nothing wrong with uh, his serum cholesterol or anything like that and his heart rate and rhythm when he'd been checked out was all normal yeah. but he came in and went on the capnograph and the alarm was on constantly mm. at rest um, and that and, and the rest of his case history you know really really raised an alarm in me I thought any more loading on this guy and he, he, he's going to go um, and then he said he was going to take a, a long-haul flight to Hong Kong on business and I, I felt my stomach churn at that I, I, and I couldn't stop saying it I said if you do that you're going to die I really feel that because yes. right at this moment you know um, that th this will take you out because you know and he said oh no my, my, you know, my blood pressure is fine my beats per minute is 60 uh, I have no problem. I'm fit. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, I supported him, and that didn't reject him. Uh, reassured him, but I nevertheless felt that intuition. He got on the plane, and just before he got to Hong Kong, he died. Now you might say that's because I told him he was going to, which was not the case. Any additional loading, and that would include the environmental loading on his cardiovascular system, of being on a long haul flight, oh, would have been sufficient to do it. But um, had he not gone on that flight and had he um, undertaken a proper retraining of his breathing, the kind of thing that we've, we'd routinely done. And remember, Paul and I trained in a cardiac rehab unit, Charing Cross Hospital in London. We were very experienced. We knew what we were looking at and what we were seeing. Had he not gone on that flight, he probably would have lived mm. a lot, lot longer. Yeah. I kind of want to ask you something more positive, actually, because we were talking yes. about this, this recently, um, mm. about this idea of the hermetically sealed container. And we were saying yeah. about uh, within the cave, it could also be this sealed container. And within Definitely. it, there can be alchemy. So we've talked about instincts and talked about respiration, but there's also the alchemical mm. side of the human soul and psychobiology and all this stuff. Could this lockdown be used by people? They're sort of sitting there. They've not got as much to do. They're yes. kind of bored. Could this be used productively in any Definitely. capacity in, say, a Jungian alchemical sense? Well, well, both in an alchemical sense, psychologically, but also in a physiological sense too, because, you know, people can, who, and I've said this many times, normally have very busy lives, are out there doing things, can use it as a, a time for conservation withdrawal, a time to actually marshal their energy mm. their, and, and their, their physical energy, as well as dealing with their psychological health. Yeah, I like this, so a time to recharge, a time to look after themselves time for rest a time for sleep time for yeah, restoration yeah. all that kind of stuff maybe you know foreign to some people because of the kind of lives that they lead but it, it is possible to make some of those changes just very very quickly of course these are the mm -hmm. changes that we've um 
that we've described in the Charing Cross method, which we've described in previous videos, but you can pick up a copy of that, the link in the description down below. Basically, it shows you how you can avoid burnout, avoid exhaustion. And indeed, if you are in that state, which potentially you're in one of these hyperventilation states, how you can get yourself out of it. And of course, no, no uh, suggestion, but to avoid a case like your uh, patient there, the guy on the, on the flight to Hong Kong, because it goes to show how these things hide themselves. And indeed, I've suffered with that as well, and it's not... Um, I didn't, I didn't die on a flight, thankfully, but there was a case recently where I was going to take a flight and Steve, you told me that story and I was like, maybe, maybe I shouldn't take the flight. And so I am still alive. So I'll put it down to your omniscient wisdom. Yeah, it's, it's a dramatic one. Uh, unfortunately, it was true. It's, it, it's tragic, but mm. there are lots of other ways that, that you can put yourself in that state. The number of young and fit and healthy joggers who die with no cardiac disease uh, it's not apparently clear, but it could have been an arrhythmia, for example. That could easily have been caused by yes. an acid-base disorder because they've over-exercised, mm. leading to an arrhythmia or a coronary artery spasm. Because once the coronary arteries narrow, you, you get a heart attack, whether the, those arteries are diseased or not, and they open again. And there's no sign of heart disease. Yeah. But sadly, they opened up after you died. Yeah. You know, it, it can be like that. It, it can. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking, Steve, mm. too, of, of the way people react to that. Yeah. Uh, and particularly now, they'll probably react to that kind of news very badly because it's like, well, how do you make sense of that rationally that this fit and he healthy person has, has just hit the deck and there's no apparent medical reason for it? Uh, and then you use that to, you know, to harm yourself and to, to generate anxiety and, and panic in yourself and maybe other people. Whereas like Steve says, once you actually think more broadly and you understand more broadly the kind of things that can happen, suddenly you have an explanation for things. You know, I was talking about this on the Discord this morning. There was a slightly different example, but it's the idea of um, how the hell you actually define health in the first place. Because like, because obviously you take a look at someone who's fit and healthy and you're like, they're fit and healthy. And it's like, how the hell do you know? It's like, well, because they're preferably thin and they have a lot of energy. And it's like, okay, that means that they're fit, fit and healthy? No. And it's like, this is why you've got to go biopsychosocial. So, yeah, if there's like a hidden thing which people don't normally see, then we need to probably expand our definition of what health is. And indeed, to, indeed to do that, you've got to emphasize lifestyle points, actually, because if it is a hidden thing and if it does require some level of education, then it's like maybe there should be ways in which people live their lives. And in general, that should be stay the hell away from stress, which is why I keep I want to keep emphasizing that in these podcasts, because I've, I've I know what it's like to be in that state where you're trying to overachieve. And it is so seductive, but it is so not worth it because you are yeah. not a well, superhero. Well, there's, there's, if I could make the distinction, there's stress, isn't there? And there's something called eustress, EU stress as well, which um, is considered to be a more positive uh, type of stress. And, um, you know, if, if it's the, the, the first kind of stress, say, for example, you're, you're living with people who... Um, stress you negatively and and you're in what we would call a high adrenaline household or high arousal household clearly that's not good for health but there are some forms of stress which do nonetheless drive you to achieve more productive and more positive things mm -hmm. so um again it's probably important the kind of language that we use here uh you know in order to get a, a proper compass on things agreed 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 there's of course the um probably err on the side of caution though in general should be taken as the case because if, if we take as a general rule people are on average more exhausted and more stressed than they are then the then the chances of them being pushed over that edge just exponentially higher especially if we if people don't 
know, for example, the states of hyperventilation. And if it comes down to, I've done it before, uh, this was pointed out to me long before I met you two, actually, by one of my friends of mine where I was breathing like this. And, and, and he showed me, he's like, don't do that, breathe with this. And instantly, I think it cured a hangover, actually, straight away. This was like a year oh, ago. Breathing on the top of your chest. So I, I, I was, yeah, I was breathing like this normally. And he was like, cause I came up to him or whatever, and I was like, oh, I'm hungover. And he's like, it's because you're breathing badly. And he, was, he showed me how to breathe through the stomach. And I did that, and the hangover went away. And it's like, even things like that, which people consider to be normal things, it's like, well, they're not normal things and they could be doing you damage and it adds up. And it's, you know, if you get into a sleep deprived state as well, I've had friends like this too, where they've been sleep deprived like their entire lives and they don't realize it. They're like, I, I sleep four hours a night. I don't need to. And they've got these big bags under their eyes. They're not performing whatsoever, but they're up all night. And it's like, well, how long can you last like that? Yeah. Probably not a long, happy, healthy yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's this idea of being indestructible and infallible and so on, isn't it? That you can, and, and psychologically speaking, we're back into the red shoes. Um, they think they can just keep on pushing and pushing and pushing indefinitely and, and get away with it. But, you know, you have to look after the chassis as well. You have to look after your body. Um, and in order to do that, I think you have to have some understanding. It doesn't have to be, you know... A, a very sort of deep or technical understanding of things, but I do think there are, there's some basic things that are useful to know about. Uh, I'm not sure we're, you know, we're likely to discuss them here today, but maybe in future podcasts, we could go into it in a little bit more detail. Mm. And it probably as well it, with the topic of the COVID virus, as it's biopsychosocial, maybe switch off the news would be a good thing for optimal health once in a while. Because if, if everything in every single media channel, everywhere on social media is constantly, and it's all going to be twisted, for not saying it's incorrect, but it will be twisted yeah, towards be, clicks as a, well. There'll be a particular spin on it, won't there? Or it'll be skewed in a particular direction. So I think it, it's probably important that the way in which you select the things you watch, um, you know, you make good choices about things. And, and then, like you say, maybe just, you know, switch the rest of it off and uh, go on and do other things. Yeah, it's like a state-dependent complex in a way. If it's not, you know, a physiological yeah. state, it's almost like a social yeah. state well, you can where the anxiety it. can come oh. back through again. You know? Yeah, yes, yeah. You can feed it, and just like you can feed any complex neurosis if you you look in the wrong place. And we all commonly do this, don't we, when we Google things, and suddenly this plethora of in information comes up, and you're then faced with that um, that process of, of of sifting it and sorting it and trying to make some kind of proper meaning out of it and relating it back to yourself and the process of doing that and how you do that is very important because you can harm yourself with it as i'm sure we've probably all experienced doing that mm. or you can have you know you can take a particular position on it and simply see it as information that isn't necessarily 100 percent accurate that the, the responsibility is, um, is on you to, to be selective uh, and to approach it in a rational way and to look at other sources and, and compare it with other uh, pieces of information. So, so what you do with that information is, is uh, yeah, has to be important for, for you and for your health and for the health of people around you. Yeah, and people can be grieved by their complexes as well. Um, I mean, this yes. is something that our research showed and it's well worth uh, looking into. Uh, because it's one of those transduction pathways between what people you know, call the mind and call the body as, as if they were separate. But it's one of those um, whole state transducers. It ranks alongside easily the uh, pathways psychoneuroendocrine, psychoneuroimmune. It's definitely on a par 
with those and in fact it can regulate both of those paths and it can disrupt both of those paths mm. so in, in some senses it's even more fundamental and it's something that you can if you you get a handle so to speak on your breathing you can control those that way um but you do you do have to be careful because there are so many bogus ways of retraining breathing out there yes and you do have to be really really careful about it you do um if you can get access to a respiratory psychophysiologist it's not easy to uh, but if you can you can always get yourself checked out on the capnograph and then you can see you know for yourself indisputably what the figures are and you can be tested against uh, thoughts feelings ideas emotions stresses uh, and then you can begin to introduce the idea of biofeedback but it's very difficult to alter the partial pressure that is the pressure inside your arteries of carbon dioxide through an act of will it's very very difficult to do but oddly the psyche the unconscious can and does regulate these levels uh, very very interesting phenomenon to observe and to investigate and then to link them to complexes and the solution for complexes too you have to make an intervention where you can don't yes, you, you do. so you know if you're for example unwell in some other way um physiologically unwell because you're exhausted or i don't know you might have hay fever rather than covid you know 19 mm. uh or, or whatever you, you to actually get some kind of control back into your life you have to work on what you can work on and you know i think you're suggesting that still yeah. aren't you by working yeah. on complexes at least then you you know you might well be in a position to eliminate something which is adding to the overall picture and that has to be helpful because otherwise it is a bit of a cascade effect mm. you get a layering of things don't you, you one do. on top of the you other do. so yeah. No, that, that's a really good point because again people i think these days are too quick to when they hear what a complex is or what they imagine a complex is to equate mm. that with a cognitive you know schema for example uh they're not the same thing but they are in the sense that the same observations of people have led different schools of thought to identify the phenomena as being one thing or the other but if you reduce things to cognition and the uh, negative automatic thoughts that the cognitive therapists go on about, you miss automatically, you, you miss the, the physiological connection. Jung defined complexes as psychophysiological. He said complexes have a physiology of their own and that they behave like partial personalities, not by the way, like separate personalities or sub personalities. Uh, this subpersonality therapy was a contagion, pardon the pun, wasn't intended, uh, that ran through the psychotherapy profession in the 1980s, 1990s, and the early 2000s. It persisted in a popular way for a long time. That was just the multiplication of a fantasy, again, into uh, dissociated consciousness, just not real. They're partial personalities, not complete ones. But part of that personality is their physiology. Uh, and... Jung was able to identify this as far as the physiology of his time and the technology of his time would allow. Now that we have better understanding of the connections physiologically, psychophysiologically, and we have better technology to go in after these things mm. and read what their true profile is. Um, you never get psychology without biology. The mind and the body are opposite sides of the same coin. If you approach 
the head, and for demonstration purpose or illustration purpose, we can call that psychology, the psyche. You only see that because you can't see the reverse side of the coin. If you approach it from the perspective of biomedicine, you only see the tail and you don't see psychology. Psychophysiology approaches the coin from the rim, the rim being the transduction zone where what we call mind and what we call body communicate with one another. It's a crossover area. A psychophysiological approach can tilt the coin to see the tail or the head and understand the rim at the same time. It's a far more powerful model for addressing what are literally systems of representation at so many different levels. And this representation is simultaneous because we are continuous of our environments. Our psychology is continuous of our biology. Our biology is continuous of our psychology as well. So a complex is going to exist in all of these dimensions simultaneously. I'm bound to think about how something like COVID would be affecting women particularly um, and just flowing on from what I was saying about how we harm, our, harm ourselves by the kind of things that we look at and read and there's a lot of misinformation as well as good information out there that um, a lot of women will be having difficulty with this because of the power of the word whether it's coming from the internet you know the written word in in that form or whether it's from government diktats or it's coming from the police enforcing things and the way that steve was describing earlier um they're all things that will be connected to the animus in a woman and um you know it will decide whether or not uh, that woman re relates well to those things or not and therefore how she relates to herself and her own mental well-being and so on so i guess i tend to be thinking of it from that perspective which you know i would do wouldn't i well, that, that affects um, relationships but it affects know, relationships and of course it does and, and, yeah. and uh, kin groups it does you know, women are the soul of culture you know that, that, that's what they are um so anything that damages mm. their psyche damages everything yes you know, because uh, the primitive instinct of men is to go out and act on the world as a hunter. That's the mm. fundamental one. Mm. But what you go back to, you know, if the women who are building the soul of culture and all the relationship patterns within that that sustains it, if their psyche is, is damaged, what's there to come back for? Yes. What's yes. there to go out and fight for? Yeah. So you think women are going to be more likely to be affected by, say, the more panic side of things? Because that's been my observation on social media and yeah. in personal relationships, too. Where the, yeah. the, the men seem to sort of just get on with it. And the women do seem to be more mm. panicky, is the word. Not quite panicking, but, you know, more on edge. And you reckon this could be, you, know, you say, the word primarily through the news, the, I, media, I, I the think way things are presented? I, I do, James. Yeah, absolutely. Because... Um... As we've said before, with respect to the animus, you know, inner and outer, essentially the same thing. How you relate on the inside is how you relate to things on the outside. So if you're if you're a woman and you're already uh, in that kind of situation where you, you tend to do a lot of damaging self-talk because of the negative animus, then anything that's negative coming back at you through the culture will be received in that way. And dep depending on how conscious you are of that, how developed you are yourself as a woman will depend on to what extent it affects you. And then, and therefore anybody else that, you know, you, you happen to be in relationship to. So I do, yeah, I think it's entirely possible that that's happening. Been, obviously you've been around the political scene longer than myself, but since my, you know, uh, 
interest in politics. I don't know. Since since I was able to vote, we've been bombarded with so much shite. It, it, we, we have had the Trump thing. We have had the Brexit thing, regardless of what side you fall on. Is this going to be the last straw for people to be like, you're lying to us? Well, we've been moving towards a nanny state for a long time, haven't we? Yeah, my, my instinct despises that. Well, it's just an yes. inbuilt thing. It's yes. like, stop taking my money away. Stop telling yeah. me what to do. But people are almost, at the moment particularly, almost prepared to give that up and uh, the freedoms up in order to be looked after, such as the fear that they have or the fear that's been instilled in them that they would happily just give themselves over to the care of the government and the NHS and, and, and any other institution for that matter. They'd almost trade those freedoms just to be cared for, like a child would be cared for. Yeah. And in particular, aren't men going to kick back against this? Well, you know, and, and even women as, as well. But, you know, men do have that drive to provide for the woman, do. for example, they not do. the other way around. So it's like a double whammy. Men neutered. Our men have been neutered, James. Haven't they? They have. They have. And I would presume that I would also have been put into the neutered camp as well. If whatever happened to me didn't happen. But the men, even when it, you know, I just describe even gun control with, with friends. It's a neurotic reaction to guns. It's a terrible, yes, absolutely. It's a terrible thing. I mean, I said to, to Steve recently about, it was one of my own comments um, when we were doing the podcast on creativity where uh, I talked about being a, a handy person because I didn't feel I could say handy man. Uh, which is absolutely ridiculous because I would have rather just said handyman. I don't feel demeaned in any way as a woman by using those words. Yeah, just good. Words. Good, you're not that sensitive. It's, no, all, it's an insult to you I to suggest that, wonderful. oh, my precious head. Well, men are wonderful and they should be celebrated for being different. And women should be glad about being different to men and, and they should use their own feminine power and not try to be like pseudo-men. Why would you want that? You'd, you'd, you'd have to be insane to want to be like that. But it's not politically correct, is it, to say these things? So we all kind of stumble around looking for the right words so as not to offend. Yeah, in, in private, conversations will always go, or a lot of the time, that far, up to exactly what you just said. Yeah. Then it goes yeah. no further. It goes yes. to people complaining about political correctness. Yes. And it's like no one actually even in personal relationships, will stand mm. up for something. It's always bitterness and complaining. Yes. Almost like a gaggle of bitchy women, actually, even yes. among men. It's like, well, it's not yeah, fair. Yeah. I can't say what I want to say. It's like, yes, you can. Yes, you yeah. can. And when, yeah. when I found myself, me being the only one in like an entire university doing it, Jane's really concerned, actually, for, for my own health, yes. my own st stuff. Because I was like, I'm going to go outside today because I want to, because the coronavirus. So I'm going to go in, into town because uh, I want to. She's like, no, don't. You'll get arrested. I'm like, I don't care. And it's, yeah. it's actually reached the point where I don't care. Because it's yes. like, leave me alone. Well, it will induce that, is... won't it? Because like yeah. it's a natural, instinctive reaction to, to kick back against, against something that's bad for your health. What would happen if men were not neutered? And, and women as well, I guess. And we well, all, for example, just said, been... we're all going outside today. Well, they haven't, all been, they haven't always been neutered. You have to look to the past. So could, do you reckon the government could have pulled something like this with stronger generations, say, you know, World War Two, World War One? Could the government have done something like this? One little broadcast and said, everyone well, stay inside now for three weeks. Oh, difficult one, that, because the governments of the past were quite happy to have two world wars. They killed millions of people. True. They were happy to do that. Mm. Uh, governments are pathological, end of, no matter what colour they yes, are. Yes, no matter what persuasion. Yeah, yeah. because... 
power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Yes. And anyone who wants power shouldn't be given it, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. And can I, can I just ask, sorry to, to, to oh, ahead, disturb love, yeah. you on your honour roll, Steve. That's all right, but, before but, I get but, one on but, yeah, <laughs> but there's a lot of people who will actually acquire a lot of power in this situation that mm. they would never have had before. Yeah. And, and they will abuse it, and we're starting to see those abuses. Indeed. And even, you know, going into local supermarkets, you can see people starting to up their game if they're able to push other people around a little bit. Uh, you see that unpleasantness growing, and, and I think it is concerning. Yeah, it is. Sorry, Steve. Oh, it, it's okay. Um, it's how instincts are marshaled uh, in the First and Second World Wars. Instincts were marshaled patriotically to achieve a particular <laughs> end, um, and there was consent for that from the male population, and there was no resistance to that from the female population, so it just happened. Um, and that's the way things have been for thousands of years, it seems, at least since recorded history. Uh, when women decide that something isn't going to happen in a culture, then generally it does stop. There, there are even Greek plays, or at least one Greek play about that, about preventing war um, by their actions. So there was a, a consciousness of the power of women when they act together to neuter men in that way, even then. Uh, and it certainly happened now. But um, I don't think it's healthy. And I think underneath it all, there is a very perverting instinct. It's rather similar to the fact that the, the Catholic Church's view <clears throat> on contraception doesn't serve Christianity so much as it serves Charles Darwin. Mm. And, and that's the secret shadow of it. You know, sex is for reproduction. That's, that's what they say. Uh, and that actually serves Darwinian evolutionary principles far more than it does Christianity as such. Uh, and it, it's, it's a similar thing here that, that when women act collectively to neuter men in a particular population, should we say a breeding population, I believe it's called shit testing. Um, if you push that too far and the men give in, the women will then just look to another breeding population from outside who won't take any shit testing at all. Yeah. And then they will prove to them at a very fundamental and instinctive level that they are worth breeding with and their own population aren't. And, and sadly, this happens. Uh, it's happening now. In the Second World War, you've you got the, um, the phenomenon that when the Germans invaded and occupied most of Europe, the women were only too willing to receive them. A large number of them were because they'd proven that they were more powerful than their own men, that their own culture had failed, and these, these Germans had marched in with their fascist Nazi ideology mm. uh, and proven that they could take their resources, so therefore they could take the women. And the women were happy, a lot of them, not all, but a lot. But still serving Charles Darwin. Yes. This is the big laugh, and it's an unfortunate, <clears throat> ironic joke that it's serving that. Even in the UK, which was not occupied by the Germans, it was occupied. It was occupied by the Americans, yeah? And uh, there, were, there was plenty of promiscuity with incoming breeding populations of men, whilst the indigenous population of British men were abro abroad fighting. <clears throat> that happened, you know? I know it happened. It happened within my own family, and it was well known that, that, that this happened. And then afterwards, of course, we, they all pretended that it didn't happen. It hadn't happened. Um, and it was time to repress things for a while, and then the 60s happened, uh, and so forth. All of the cultural changes that have gone on since mm. then. So there is always reproductive pressure, 
and that women will always determine and select who they're going to breed with. That, that forces male competition. If they reject the men, the men are, are not going to know what to do with their instincts. The safest thing to do is to use them completely and then they don't become a problem. No? Mm -hmm. Certainly not politically because they don't have it anymore in them to fight or to resist. Then if you, you have an incoming uh, group of people who won't take that, you get a, a phenomenon similar, sadly, to when red squirrels were replaced by grey. It's just a, a case of more favourable adaptation to a specific territory and therefore of a breeding population, and then, and then you get that. Now, this is not making any kind of political judgment or statement either way. I'm not interested in politics. No. They're all bad. But I am interested in how instincts manifest because instincts are the fundamental layer upon which everything is built. And when you overstress a population, and it's happening now, it was already happening with the cultural changes going on. Mm. Uh, but when you add COVID to that, well, who's, who can be really sure where that's going to go? You can make an it's informed... Not tested, it's not it? been tested mm. to its conclusion yet. Yeah. It's often said that the best prediction of the future is the past. You know, so there are plenty of examples uh, of what will happen when a culture is overstressed and that their, their men lose their identity. You can see that. You can, you can see it, like, as I say, in, in animal populations, breeding populations, mm. as thing goes on. Instincts undermine, uh, underlie sorry, everything. If you look after instincts, everything else will resort and look after itself too. If you pervert instinct, you will then pervert the culture. Uh, and anything that emerges from it will be likewise perverted. It's as simple as that. Um, hence the, the archetypes, as people seem to believe they are, are just cultural narratives for the frustration or the positive acting out mm. of instinct. That's all they are. They're just dramas written by instincts, archetypes. Do you think men have contributed to this too, Steve, or they've bought into it? Because I'm, I'm kind of thinking about uh, even something like, I know it's controversial, mm. the Gillette adverse oh, yeah. that went out. And, uh, you know, you see this kind of row of dads doing the barbecue and there's a couple of lads fighting and it's like, you know, please, you know, be nice to each other, boys. Yeah. Uh, which, which is just so contranatural, really, isn't yes, it? Yes. Young lads do scrap Don't and fight and it's so on. It's instinctive. It's instinctive. It's what they do. But you've yeah. got these fathers trying to um, placate them and get them to just be nice to one another. Um that will turn it's, up as mental illness. Well, well it we, will. We, we both know this. Yeah. That will definitely turn up as, as mental illness. <laughs> and it may not be psychotic mental illness, but it will be maladaptation to instincts, which will mean that their complexes take on a specific form. Mm. Uh, and then their physiological illnesses and degradation will take on a specific form. You'll see a reduction, a further reduction in sperm counts, mm. simply because the instinctive reason to reproduce is being removed. So the instincts will be switched off and therefore sperm count will fall because you're not going to do anything with it. Mm. But what you will see and have seen is FAP on mm. mass, mm. whilst the, the, the male population of the suppressed culture tries mm. instinctively to adjust to those pressures. Mm. And then, of course, they go to pornography. Mm. Most of them probably wouldn't want to pornographize relationships to women. No. But what are they going to do with those instincts? Yes. And there are positive ways out of that trap, out of the FAP trap. They really, really are. And they're, they're quite simple and you can get to them. 
but it will mean men looking at themselves in a slightly different way and also having a, a psychodynamic understanding and a biopsychosocial understanding of themselves and conjoining those two together. And uh, we're working on this, aren't we, James? We're working mm. on getting something ready to, to deliver on this because it is needed. Well, young men have been distracted into fantasy as a whole, haven't yeah. they? Not just, you know, fantasy as yeah. pornography, yeah. but it's yeah. like, look over here. Just disappear it into that over yeah. here whilst yeah. in the meantime, your instincts are yeah. being Look, look here, there's a new fantasy. Yeah. Absorb yourself in that. Yeah. There are heroes in there. Yes. But what are the heroes doing? Mm. Generally, a lot of it's based on male assertive instincts. Mm. If you take any archetypal narrative and again, remove the instinctive imperatives, that are underlying it, it's nothing. It's, it's, it's two-dimensional at best and probably completely flat and devoid of life. But, you know, you know shooting games, that's instinctive. Of course it is. You know, you're telling mm -hmm. me it's archetypal? Yes, but only because it sits on instincts. Mm -hmm. The men have lost contact with their instincts. Mm -hmm. They're not even really allowed to be competitive anymore, no, are they? No. Not only just between themselves, but, mm. but just in, in general terms. Yeah. I mean, we were saying this morning, we can remember um, a sports day that our son was involved mm. in. Uh, running, it's just a, a running race, a sprint, and uh, he actually won the race easily. easily. Yeah. In, in fact, he kind of ran over towards us to wave to us halfway <laughs> at the halfway point, and then kind yeah. of with his intuitive, so he didn't go yeah, the straight yeah. line, no, did no, he? No. So he kind of, uh, you know, angled yeah. off and, and and still managed to win the race, but he wasn't rewarded for it. every everybody else had to have a medal and uh, like a little, you know. Yeah. Uh, as well Rewarded um, for losing. so yes yeah yeah, yeah which yeah. doesn't help anyone we shouldn't be worried about competition if, if we have people who succeed and are good at something we should encourage it because they will find ways to express that talent we shouldn't feel diminished by another person's talent no. we should be thankful that some people are really good at things that we may not be good at and we should deploy them yes, productively in the service of our culture and yes. our society yes. our species and of the environment and the world whatever level mm. of resolution you want mm. it is good it is good that we have people who are good at something and who excel and, and, and we should definitely encourage that yeah. and then look to develop mm. what we can do that's better and be content with it. Mm. We'll have a balanced society that is in equilibrium mm. at that point. Yeah. yeah, some of my more uh, instinctual embrace over the last few years, thinking about it is probably a case of it being suppressed since like day one of school. You know, I, I, I became the archetypal if you like teacher's pet day one of primary school the stereotypical uh, stereotypical i just like the word archetypal because it's yeah, 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 yeah. Just, well, just, just <laughs> yeah. Could, could you just quickly say yes, mo most um primary school teachers are women as well oh yeah and they they, they seem to think they know what's best mm. for young boys um, and I'm pretty I, sure I had exclusively female yeah. teachers thinking about it in primary school yes you probably did have yeah because you know uh, there was one time it was i was 10 i think and there was a kid i i hated this kid he was a complete dick absolutely hated him and there was one time he, he did just sort of turn on me and go and he, it's like someone pushed me into him or something and he turned around and he pushed me away and something snapped and i, I you know i didn't swear or anything i didn't don't even knew swear words at that point it was like a catholic primary school and i beat the ever-living shit out of him on the floor and to, 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 i was the nicest boy ever the nicest boy and the teacher had to literally pull me off of him 
you know, and then going into secondary school, I was slapped back down again, you know, that, that strict Catholic discipline of do your work or else. And then there's always the threat of the parents as well. Your parents are going to be so disappointed in you. Then it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds until now it's like people are kind of shocked when they look at me, not blowing my own trumpet at all. But it's like you don't do as you're told. And it's like men shouldn't do as they're told ever. It should be a mutual agreement from men that they're going to obey the same rules. You should not do as you are told. Because then you do, you know, that's when you do fall yourself, find yourself into these little fantasy things. Because the, the men, if you look at all the men in the big fantasy things, the movies and the video games, they're not done what they're told. None of them are. It's like, you do what you want to do. That's instinctive. Again, it's instinctive. And then the, the archetype, whatever that is, follows on from the instincts. It is so obvious. People seem to have, and I think this is why, uh, and... Uh, those believing Christians out there, forgive me, this is not meant as a criticism of your faith, but I do think it's a sociocultural observation on the effect that the collective use of that religion has had on the perception of things. Animals have instincts. If people have them, they're just something in the back of your mind and they're primitive. Animals don't have souls. Animals aren't conscious. Humans are. That attitude pervaded still in the late 19th century. And it meant that the understanding of human instinct was at that level that animals were different. And so if you express an instinct, you are like an animal. Therefore, they are not even psychological. Jung, at various times in his career, treated instincts as if they weren't even psychological. Now, we know that's complete nonsense now. It is absolute nonsense. And just look at what's happening at the moment. You're telling me there's no psychological reaction to instincts? Or are you saying that they're completely different? Instincts are anticipatory sets of behavior that include images and narratives programmed within them. Then when you have culture, culture feeds into the instinct and produces this resultant psychological image that we internalize locally. You know, and that is, if you analyze it properly and with all objectivity is the truth, human instincts are very sophisticated systems just because they're automatic doesn't mean that they're stupid. No? Well, breathing's automatic. Breathing's you, you automatic. You wouldn't want to stop that, would you? No, no, all the problems you get with that. <laughs> but, 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 but yeah, there is an, an instinct to want to breathe. Yes. Um, but this is where, you know, your level of analysis, description, and explanation can, can, can mess things up. Instincts, human instincts, are very, very complicated, evolved things, systems of anticipation and reaction and the anticipation is forward thinking it's forward planning they have a degree of plasticity to them so those ideas and associations that form around instincts are going to be adaptable to local conditions and then we, we have Jungians calling them well that's the archetypal image underneath it's the archetype there's no archetype underneath them there's a very extensive and complex dare I use the term uh, instincts which includes everything that you need to know and that instinct then is modified and produces complexes controversial i know but there is no need for an archetypal hypothesis as such at all do you reckon there's anything productive people can do say men watching or even, or even women to feel themselves more instinctually like right now you know is, is there anything somebody can do straight away i i, I think meditate on them in, in the broader sense of trying to understand that we are instinctive creatures and that everything progresses from that and there's nothing wrong with having instincts uh, and with respect to this present situation 
if we don't acknowledge their existence and the fact that they're always there, they will become our enemy because they will push. They will really, really push. Not just outward, though, they'll push against us because we're not doing the right thing. And that generates complexes immediately. That generates anxiety. That will generate disease. It's a cascading effect. Mm. So know that they're there and know really that fundamental human rights are themselves predicated upon instincts. The right to live, the right to be happy, the right to go about your business without being impeded, the right to have a home. You know, all of these these fundamental things, never mind how it's actually codified in the, you know, Declaration of Human Rights, we all know instinctively, intuitively, if you like, and I'm not saying intuition and instinct are the same, and in, in, intuition in that sense is just an apperception right. of instinct, instinct presents <clears throat> itself in consciousness through a transduction, and then appears to be a symbol or an intuition or whatever, but though those things, meditate on those things that really give existence, meaning, Meaning itself is instinctive because if you have meaning in your life, you're content, you're adapted, and you will have status because other people recognize you as an adapted person. You have status and therefore go up in rank socially simply because you're living an authentic life and you're more likely to be healthy as well. Uh, I like this as a frame shift. You know, people who get into masculinity and development and all these other things. They go about their life as I'm currently not a masculine man and I need to become a masculine man, you know, because it's, it's, it's better. Maybe the frame should be, unless you develop yourself into a masculine man, you are a neurotic and you are not in touch with your instincts and you're not going to be happy and they're going to push back against you. So it is, so it is no masculinity is bad on one side, side of things and there is no masculinity is better than where I currently am. It's a case of like, no, you need that or else you are going to be neurotic and unhappy, right? Yeah, um, it's, uh, there's so many ways of being a man, and this is why I think we should, we should allow excellence in whatever field to come forward, masculine ex excellence, whatever that is, whether it's a, 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 an excellent warrior, an excellent scientist, an excellent philosopher, an excellent father, whatever excellence is, we should allow it, because that will draw us towards it and make us all improve, and it will lead to a balanced society. We don't have to have a one-sided masculinity any more than a one-sided femininity. Um, we just need balance for a, a culture to be in balance. Um, the yeah, just, just, just to, to clarify, masculinity, I mean, on an individual level, is allowing your, your instincts to come out and be secure and, and confident yeah, in that yeah. as your own identity. So I don't mean you have to go be the alpha chad, start lifting weights yeah. and sleeping with loads of different women. I mean, yeah. being secure, confident in yourself and letting your instincts out. Absolutely, they will. They will. They will guide you so for what you need. You'll then find the archetypal fantasy or the stereotype, typical fantasy that you may want to latch onto as a collective myth in order to give you some kind of meaning. Obviously, the step beyond that is to extract out from that by inner work what your actual personal myth is. But yeah, if you access your instincts, they will. They will tell you what you need to do. 